glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Would you stand with me as we read our scripture tonight? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The context of 1 Corinthians 15 is the promise of the resurrection. Not only does he focus on the truth of the resurrection of Christ, but the promise that means for us, the hope of our resurrection, a glorified body. All that having been said, he says in verse 57, 1 Corinthians 15, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, so there's verse 57, Therefore, because of verse 57, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now if we go to Numbers 21. Numbers 21, and after we read this, we'll say some more just by way of introduction. Numbers 21, beginning verse 1. The children of Israel are in their wilderness wandering when this takes place. The Bible says in verse 1 of Numbers 21. Um, by the way, this is just, if you look just right back at the end of Numbers 20, you'll see Aaron has just died. They are preparing to go into the promised land for the second time. We'll backtrack in history for our second point, but we're going to start here in Numbers 21. So Aaron's just died. The Bible says, And when King Arid, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. There's much more to be said. This is the story of the serpent on the pole, but for right now, we'll stop our reading. You may be seated. And as you are there, let me give you a definition of the word discourage. According to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word discourage means to extinguish the courage of, to dishearten, to depress the spirits, to deject, to deprive of confidence. Uh, And this is used in the context of the verses we'll use In Colossians 3, that fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath lest they be discouraged. It means to deter from anything uh, with or from, to deter from anything. Uh, So as as the children of Israel were discouraged from going into the land of Canaan, to attempt to repress or prevent, to dissuade from as to discourage an effort. And so it has the idea of disheartening someone in a cause and you and I have been called to holiness. We've been called to godliness. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, we've been called to the work of the Lord. You think about some of the... I, I think about my own life, my Christian life, and I divide it, and I can't help my, my, my brain alliterate sometimes without me asking it to, uh, but I think about my walk. That is to do with my fellowship with God, my communion with God, my personal conduct that only the Lord sees. That's my walk. That is my daily decision-making in my spirit, in my mind, in the deeds of my body, between me and my Lord, 
And that walk at times can be difficult because of the temptations of the flesh and the direction God leads us. I think then that my Christian life is not only about a walk. That's my fellowship with me and God as my Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about my work. Those are the things that He has entrusted me to do. He has gifted me to do and He has entrusted me to do. My work involves loving my wife. My work involves bringing up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. My work involves prayer. My work involves study of the Bible, preaching the Scripture, doing the work of an evangelist, being oversight in the church. That's my work, your work. Uh, some of you have not a ministry vocation. Most of you have secular vocation. So your work involves going out into the world and providing, as we have all done and do, providing for a family. Uh, ladies, your work involves raising children and uh, loving your husband. I mean, it starts in the home. And then there's a work in the church to be done. There's a work in the world to be done. We all have the work of evangelism to do, the work of letting our light shine before men. So that's our work. We have service to do for the Lord. Then there, and raising children, all those things fall under the heading of the work that's been entrusted to us. Then we also have warfare. Warfare is the opposition that takes place between the Word of God and the lies of Satan and the war that takes place in our mind between the appetites of our flesh and the leadership and the desire of the Holy Spirit of God. Our fleshly lusts, the Bible say, war against our soul. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Meaning there is an opposition to the will of God in our life that is like a a wind or a stream working against us, and we must, with the Word of God, combat the temptations of our flesh, the appeals of the world, and, of course, the tempter that's behind that. Walk, work, and warfare, all of those things are a part of our life. That's really how our Christian life can be divided up. And in the process, we have objectives put before us, articulated by the Word of God. This is what I want you to be. This is what I want you to do because I've saved you. This is, this is the stand I want you to take. And there can sometimes in our walk say, doing God's will is just getting difficult. Or we can feel like it's not worth it. Why should I continue to be involved in the work of the Lord? Why should I continue to go to church and assemble with the believers and give myself to the work of prayer and give myself to the work of teachings or you teach or give myself to the work of giving or give myself to the work of whatever it may be that God has you doing in the church and then from the church in the world? Why should I go about the work of witnessing? I've witnessed to thousands of people and most don't want to hear we can go on and on, but I want us to see that what I'm talking about tonight is the will of God as it relates to our walk and our labor and our conflict. God has a will in those things. And there is a time where the Lord stirs our heart because He saved us. Out of gratitude, we submit to the Lord and say, I want to go your way. I want to live the life you have laid out for me. I want to run the course you have for me. And so we lay aside weights and we get on the course that the Lord has for us. But in the course of God's will, there are sources of discouragement. Sources of discouragement. We're going to begin with this source in Numbers chapter 21. Our first point are the sources of discouragement. Again, there are numerous sources, but I believe uh, these three are so, because they're in our Bibles, highlighted as sources of discouragement, that's where we're going to put our attention tonight. Number one, we can be discouraged because of the difficulty of the way. Simply the difficulty of the way. Can you think of any New Testament examples where the Lord gave clear direction and then His way was very difficult? In our family devotions this week, we, we considered the, uh, the time when the Lord Jesus told the disciples to get on a boat and go to the other side. They clearly knew the will of the Lord. Get in a boat. That was very practical. 
Then they knew the will of the Lord, go to the other side. The wonderful thing is he got in the boat with them. What's to fear? But when he got in the boat with them in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, a raging storm came on then. Waves filled their boat. The winds lifted it. It sought to overthrow them. And they in the middle of that said, Carest thou not that we perish? You know what they were? Discouraged. Here we are doing exactly what you told us to do. And you are sleeping in the back of the boat. Don't you care that we're all dying? They were discouraged. Were they in the will of God? Now, here's, here's what people get wrong. They think, well, if I'm following the Lord, then the mark that it's the Lord's will is everything will go smoothly. And that's a fleshly way of thinking. I think we've probably all thought it. Well, because we, we are, I think we're pragmatists by nature. That's what I think. The mark that I made a right decision is everything goes smoothly. Hardly so. The Lord's way is not an easy way. He never promised that. If we walk our way through the 23rd Psalm, yes, it starts by still waters and in green pastures, but it's not long when you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not an easy path. It's a mountain climb. It's a dark place. The Lord's leadership does not mean that the way won't get difficult. It's very interesting to me. Uh, Aaron has just died in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. The children of Israel have known conflict, and they have been the victors. And in, in verse 3, they are, they are shouting the victory, but in verse 6, they are ready to quit on God. Well, I tell you, we as humans are fickle. All right, we, don't, we should not trust our emotions. We're fickle. We're on cloud nine one day and in the depths tomorrow. And you know what happened? Their circumstances changed. That's what happened. They had a victory this day, but then the Bible says, so it's verse 3, they've just won a victory. Verse 4, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. Now, if you study your Bible, you understand the Lord told them they were not allowed to fight the Edomites. The Edomites had God's special blessing upon them. They were promised the land. This is the descendants of Esau, and the Israelites were not to fight the Edomites at this time. So I believe the course they're on is specifically... It is specifically charted by the very word of God. You remember God was leading them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. These people are not out of God's will, but in God's will, they're in a difficult way. And I'll say this, especially to you young people. More young people quit trying to do what's right for this reason than any other I know. It's just too hard to do right. It's too difficult. It just seems like everything's against me. Uh, my, my, everything's against me. If you can at times feel like nothing's working for you and do what's right. I've shared with my children, maybe even with you, there were times in my adolescent years when I would really, the Lord would get a hold of my heart on Sunday through the preaching and the teaching. Man, God would get a hold of my heart and I'd get concerned about serving the Lord. I'm going to go home and I'm going to get serious about studying my Bible and I'm going to get serious about telling people about the Lord and obeying my parents and doing what I know is right. There are a number of things I knew were right. That'd be on Monday. By Wednesday, I'd quit. You know why? Because on Monday, I go to set forward, and all of a sudden, my lazy body doesn't want to get up. And next thing you know, my parents uh, are doing their job, and I'm in trouble because I didn't do right, and all of a sudden, I'm irritated, and I'm offended. It's just too hard. (laughs) It's too hard. Now, here, the way was hard. The Bible says... And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the the way. The way. Turn with me if you would to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Something we've been looking at with our young men in Bible Institute. 
is, and this has been the heart of our series thus far, our whole class this year has been on what it means to be a faithful man because that's a prerequisite for God using us to teach others also. If we're going to pass on the Word of God to others and teach others, we've got to be faithful. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Thou therefore, my son, verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And this verse, as well as many others, put forward the, the clear truth that the way of the Lord is not an easy way. But yet his grace is sufficient. You'll remember the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh, did he not? And he said, thrice, I asked the Lord to remove it. And the Lord said, no, all three times. Meaning the Lord did not make his way easier. He gave him grace for the way. Nonetheless, the number one source I find for discouragement is the way that the Lord leads us. It's difficult. The Bible says the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Here's what it was. It says, And the people spake against God and spake against, and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now, there's another message here we've, we've preached before. It's interesting how there was no bread, but they loathed light bread. Isn't that interesting? There was bread. They just didn't like the bread they were getting. God was providing. They just didn't count it as, as, as worthy, of, uh, worthy of them. And so then you read, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people, and so on. We'll talk later in the next point about the the outcome of this discouragement. But all I want us to see here is that the number one source of discouragement was because of the way. The way of Christianity is likened to a marathon. The way of Christianity is like... So we're not talking about a little short sprint. We're talking about a race. Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. That course that's referred to there. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2... The course that is set before us, the race that is set before us, speaks of a long-term race. Anybody that's run a marathon will tell you the way can be discouraging. It's You know, a lot of times we have energy for the start, but it's after we've been running a while that the way begins to wear on us. We say, this is challenging, it's difficult. And the way of Christ is likened to a marathon. It's likened to a wrestling match. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. It's likened to a battlefield it's likened to a farm. It's like, so you think about the way of the Lord. It's likened to working a farm. It's likened uh, to a boxing match. First Corinthians 9.24, he that striveth for the masteries or a wrestling match. This is what God likens the way to. It is a struggle. It's a, it's a back and forth push of uh, the Lord's direction in our life and the opposition of our flesh and the world and the devil. And the way of following Christ because of the opposition uh, can be discouraging. And so then... The first source of discouragement was the way that the Lord led him in. Number two, we go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. You can also read this in Numbers chapter 32. Moses rehearses when the spies were sent in to the land of Canaan to spy out. And he references the effect of the unbelief of these men on the others as being discouragement. So the source, first source of discouragement is simply the difficulty of the way. There's times the, Lord, the, way, the way the Lord leads us is challenging. 
It's difficult. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're tired. And the way itself, we get discouraged because of the way. Number two, we get discouraged because of the unbelief of others. Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses again is rehearsing the history of Israel to, to the to people. Uh, he says in verse 19, And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which he saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, and as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give us unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search out the land, and bring us word again, by what way we must come up, and into what cities we shall come. And the same pleased me well. And I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came unto the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down, to un, uh, down to, unto us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. We'll stop reading right there for now. The second source of discouragement is the disbelief and disobedience of brethren. The disbelief and disobedience of brethren. There are brethren who've decided that the abundant Christian life promised in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that the fruit-filled Christian life promised in John 15, that the, the fruitful Christian life promised in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 a life not of sinless perfection, but a life of consistent victory. They've decided that the pressures and opposition of sin in the world is greater than the grace of God, and the best we can do is resign to a defeated life. And therefore, that's what they live. And you say, you know, I'm going to live for the Lord, and you'll run into to a brother that says, <laughs> I remember when I thought like you. I remember when I thought that you could live a consistent Christian life the ideals of the Bible are good. This idea of giving thanks for all things, that's a good idea. But nobody can live like that. This idea of keeping yourself pure in this world, nice idea, but the pressures of sin are too great for young people to overcome. This idea of, of, of the fruit of the Spirit, having love and joy and peace, we should strive for that, and that's good. Isn't that what these men did? The land God has promised is good, but nobody can obtain it. The giants that live there are too great. The temptations are too great. The pressures of sin are too strong. The enemies are too great for us. We know God promised us this, but it's just too great. The Lord Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Bible speaks of a Christian life that is victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, this is the victory. Uh, thanks be unto God for the victory uh, that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, therefore be ye steadfast. I believe with all my heart you and I can live a joy-filled life. 
we can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I believe we can and should be content with such things as we have. I believe we can forgive those that sin against us. I believe we can pray for those who hate us and despitefully use us. I believe we can be the kind of Christians God tells us to be. Philippians 4.13 says so. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But you're going to meet many. May I tell you, there were 12 brethren and only two of them believed this was true. Canaan lands a picture, not of heaven. It's a picture of the victorious Christian life. The life lived in obedience to God in spite of the opponents. In spite of the opposition of your flesh. In spite of the opposition of a world that hates God. In spite of a devil who's cunning and clever. God is greater. His power is greater. His word is sufficient. Our Lord and Savior not only died to pay for our sinful way, but He lives to empower us in this way. The resurrected Christ guarantees victory for the Christian. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. He lives that we might have His life and power to live His will in our lives. Though the way is hard, but there are those who are going to say, no, the, the enemies are too strong, so you might as well just figure out how to live with them, not overcome them. Now, what kind of people was it that said this to these fellows? Brethren? They were fellow Jewish brethren. Twelve of the finest men in Israel. These were the chief of the tribes that went in there. And they went and they said, Man, the land God's promised is wonderful. Whew, look at these grapes. Beautiful. There's, there's milk and honey flowing, meaning it's a healthy land. The cattle are healthy and the bees are producing honey. And what a great place. But the people that inhabit those lands are just too strong. The disobedience, disbelief, and defeat of other Christians can convince you that the life God has led you to live as His child is not even a possibility. That the life of victory, the life of faithfulness, the life of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. No, 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 nobody can live, nobody can live the life that's outlined by the Lord in His Word. How many of us look at the Word of God and look at the New Testament and go, there's a lot of things opposing what He tells me to be. He tells me to be thankful. I'm discontented by my nature. He tells me to rejoice, it's easier to complain. He tells me to be temperate, it's easy for me just to give in to my passions. But if he declared it, he promised it, and Christ lives, then he can enable it, amen? And so then, number one source of discouragement is the difficulty of the way. Number two source of discouragement is the disbelief, disobedience, and defeat of others. And then thirdly, we're into the New Testament, and this one's phrased differently. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 It's a warning. It's not so much a record of someone who got discouraged, but it's a warning about what does cause discouragement. Colossians chapter 3. It's interesting, the role that we fathers play in the lives of our children. We say a lot about how damaging the feminist movement has been to our culture, our country, our churches, but may I say the reason that that movement has spread so rapidly is the dereliction of men. That's why. Men who have refused and failed to be what God tells us to be. I believe it's there in the book of Malachi that the Bible talks about when John the Baptist comes, he would turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. God specifically tasks us as fathers to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And many dads have just flunked out. He's not done it, not even attempted to do it, 
not stepped up and taken that position that God's given us. And that's the context we have Colossians 3 in, is the charge to, to fathers uh, concerning their children. Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now, with that in mind, look at Ephesians very quickly. It's the same commandment worded a little differently in Ephesians chapter 6. When it says in verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so it's as though it's an either-or. If you won't bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you're going to provoke them to wrath. If you're not going to provoke them to wrath, you're going to have to rather bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word provoke means to anger alongside, to enrage, anger, or provoke to wrath. Uh, fathers have a unique way of being able to irritate their children. To rib. How many of us, how many of us know this? A father that won't, that won't rule, say, you know what, here's what we expect of you because this is what's right in the sight of God. Here's what is going to happen if you don't do what's expected. Here's the blessing you receive if you do. Here's the, the chastisement you receive if you don't. And the father that doesn't rule based on the word of God and doesn't input the word of God into the lives of his children, what's going to happen is he won't discipline that child until that child is irritating him. And an irritated father, and a mother can do the same, an irritated father, instead of disciplining according to the word of God by, by rule, by clear-cut rules, by justice and judgment and equity, a father won't do that, will wait until he's angry, and then he'll flick his kid behind the ear. Said, stop it! Oh, that'll get him. That'll help him. Boot you halfway across the room, boy, you make me so mad. You with me? You're an idiot! Dads, we ever done that? The Bible says, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. You're going you're gonna to kill the heart of your child if you use your authority to provoke them, to, to stir them to anger. By the way, name-calling, berating, physical abuse, whatever it may be, all these things are provocations of a child. You want know provocation? We don't have to get into all the reasons why. You're bigger than that child. What can they do about it? God says, don't abuse your authority this way. Don't use your authority to provoke that child to anger. Rather, instruct him, teach him, discipline him in the way that he should go. Show him the ways of God by your living, by your words. And I understand these are three disconnected texts, but the fact of the matter is these are the areas that God brings to, to our attention that are sources of discouragement. The difficulty of the way. God has not promised us an easy way. The way that He leads us by His Holy Spirit through the Bible as His children is not an easy way, but it's a good way. The disbelief, disobedience, and defeat of others is a source of discouragement. We begin to listen to them more than the Word of God. We'll begin to believe that their disobedience is God's will or is just, it's just what we have to resign to. Their disbelief becomes ours and we, we, we listen to them more than the Word of God. But may I say this, the third one has to do with the distressing of an authority in one's life, specifically here a father, that ends up being a source of discouragement to the next generation. We as fathers must take very seriously our role as fathers and not be a source of discouragement, sucking the life out of that child. That child that was, in, that was encouraged to do what is right now has been discouraged because I have not behaved as God told me to. You with me? And so then these three things are what are highlighted in the Bible as, prime, as, as significant sources 
of discouragement uh, to people that are, that are seeking to do right. In Colossians 3, the context is he's just told children, in verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. You get a child that says, I'm going to obey my dad, and while he's obeying his dad, man, dad, dad is f- provoking, all of a sudden that child is discouraged. And so then, the sources of discouragement, the difficulty of the way, the disbelief of others, the distressing of an authority in our life, that one's on the authority. Uh, the other two, we are to respond properly to those sources of discouragement. The third one, we'll see the solution has to do with us making sure we're not that source of discouragement. So the sources, difficulty of the way, disbelief of others, their disobedience and defeat, and the distressing of fathers or of a human authority in our lives. Number two, the significance of discouragement. As we review the, 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 the accounts we've looked at, the significance of a discouragement is huge. In Numbers chapter 21, where we, were, where we started, when they got discouraged, I want to turn back over there and just show you a downward slide once they got discouraged. Numbers chapter 21. Once they lost their, their courage to go forward in the will of God, that's what it is. Courage is that, that strength of will and force of will to move forward uh, in, in the face of danger or whatever it may be. Once one says, oh, it's just too difficult, I'm going to throw in the towel it opens the door to all sorts of things. In Numbers 21, verse 4, they're discouraged. In verse 5, they're discontent. By the way, if you're discontent, figure out where you got discouraged. Discontentment is a sin. Can I remind us of that tonight? Discontentment is a sin. In verse 5, they're discontent. They speak evil against God and complain about His lack of provision in their life. Then that brought deception. The end of verse 5, they say, We have no bread, but we loathe this light bread. They are self-deceived, as we noted earlier. And in verse 6, they are distressed. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit them people, and much people of Israel died. There's death that comes into the camp. This all started with discouragement. It all starts with them being wearied with God's way. If you're battling, saying, Man, the Christian life, God's leadership, God's will for my life, it's just hard It's just hard. My flesh doesn't like it. The world makes me feel like an idiot. It's just, it's it's hard on my mind. It's hard on my body. It's just hard. Look out. Discontentment comes next. Self-deception, distress, and death. And yet, finally, God delivers them when they acknowledge we sin. But listen, it all started with what? Discouragement. Meaning, we just... We don't, we don't want to continue going God's way. It's just we, we're ready to give up. We're tired. We want to quit. Discouragement is that longing to quit in what we know we ought to be doing. And so then the significance, it brought about disobedience. It brought about discontentment. It brought about even death. In, in uh, the account where the spies are going to the land, where we read in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Joshua, the, the one thing Moses said is, Be not discouraged. Don't go in there and let things discourage you and turn you back from going into battle and conquering this land. Don't be turned back. And the one thing they did is went in and got discouraged. But what discouraged them? People that didn't believe God. Now listen, church, you and I, we cannot help other people not believing God. So the solution here, we'll get the solution in a minute. So we have to look at this realistically. There will always be people that don't believe God. So discouragement then is always a potential for us. So we must understand, you're going to be, you and I must be careful who we listen to. If you start listening to a preacher that decided a long time ago that the Bible doesn't apply to him in a lot of ways because it's just too hard, 
He's going to convince you to go his way. And that is, you know what? I believe, I believe, this is my opinion. So much of the perversion of the grace of God that's taking place is by people that have decided, I don't believe what God said concerning victory. I am resigned to the defeat of sin in my life, and therefore I'm going to convince others to go with me. It's just those ten spies doing the same thing all over again, looking at the conflict and saying it's too hard. What God has commanded, he cannot mean because it's too challenging. They focused on the size of the enemy rather than the promises of God. But the result was defeat. God's, God's people had to roam 40 years in the wilderness because of discouragement. Discouragement that was rooted in disbelief. Let's just think about this. Had God already promised them unequivocally the victory, so the discouragement wasn't even necessary. It wasn't even, it didn't even need to be. There was, it was not even logical. God had promised them the victory, but they believed the opposition. They believed the reasoning of their flesh over the promises of God, and it resulted in the defeat of God's people. Even in that instance, thousands of them died when they tried to go up into the hill and go to battle without the power of God. Many were defeated. And so the significance, it brought about discontentment, disobedience, defeat, Death on both occasions in numbers, and I believe this, it brings about the offense. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Lord warns us not to offend others. He warns us especially not to offend a little one. Better for a millstone be hanged around our neck than we offend a little one that trusts in him. And so the idea of discouraging a child who would be obeying and serving God and being the source of that discouragement, it's significant. It might be easy to underestimate discouragement and say, well, everybody gets discouraged. Yes, we do, but beware. Discouragement is significant. It leads to other things. It leads to disobedience and death, and it leads to defeat. Discouragement, listen now, tonight discouragement in your life could lead to the defeat in another Christian life. You young people that say, this way of serving the Lord is just too hard, you be careful. A, young, a group of young people who are sincere about serving the Lord and get encouraged about taking mission trips all of a sudden can have one or two young people that have just given up on serving God become a wet blanket, a sour apple among the, the rest to say, it doesn't work, I'm proof, I tried, I prayed, I asked God for wisdom, I asked God for help, He didn't help me, it's still hard serving God. Careful now. You'll rub off on somebody else. It's significant. Amen. I've had people in my life, people who didn't had resigned to a defeated life, who who didn't have any problem helping me resign as well. <laughs> Misery loves, sure does. So then, discouragement is significant. It brings disobedience and discontentment and death and defeat, and we could go on and on. But thirdly, the solution. So we've seen the sources, difficulty of the way, disbelief and, and defeat and uh, and disobedience of others the distressing of an authority in our life. And by the way, you think about that not only with fathers. Let's just use one more illustration from the Bible. Think about David. David was anointed of God. When he was a boy, you can see his sincerity and his zeal when he slays Goliath. And it's no time at all that he has an authority in his life that distresses him, that oppresses him, and was a constant source of discouragement in David's life until finally God delivered him. And so... This comes from multiple angles, but nonetheless, let's see our solution. Finally, the solution to discouragement. Number one, if we're not going to be discouraged, we must remember. I'm going to just use that word. We must remember the promises in the Word of God. We must remember the Word of God. Remember Deuteronomy 21, uh, 1, verse 21? 
what Moses had said. Someone got into the promised land and did not remember what Moses said. He had said when he sent the spies in, in Deuteronomy 1, verse 21, Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. When the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land the second time, this is what Moses was telling uh, Joshua and the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And Moses called Joshua unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage. For thou must go with this people unto the land, which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. You'll remember when the ten spies were murmuring and complaining and saying, we can't go in. What, is Joshua, what do Joshua and Caleb have to say? Joshua, uh, Caleb says this in verse 9 of Numbers 14, uh, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. This is Joshua and Caleb. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. We ought to ask ourselves this this night. Am I encouraging someone to fulfill the will of God in their life, or am I discouraging them? Am I saying God will help you? God will deliver you. You're facing that temptation. You know the power of God is available to you through Jesus Christ to overcome. You, you believe that this path of, 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 of life that God has called you to, a path of holiness, is too difficult. Let me say to you, it is not. There's example after example after example in the Bible of the grace of God abundant in the life of a person to empower them to do His will. Or am I saying, no, you know, these... This is idealism. And we, we generally, if we're a source of discouragement, we are reasonable like the ten spies were. We've got, we've got our reasons. And we are very good at articulating why what God told us to do is not possible. When I have decided not to do God's will, it won't be long until that becomes my doctrine for telling others why they can't do God's will. So it's very important tonight we understand the solution for us. How do we not be discouraged? We have to respond to whether it be the difficulty of the way. When Moses found out about the people murmuring and complaining, what did he do? They, he prayed for the people. He remembered the word of God. Here in Numbers, where our focus has been, uh, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 1, where, where they are going into the land, Joshua and Caleb remembered the word of God. They said, you know what? We're hearing you say it's not possible, but God said. But God said. He said that it is possible. And if God delight in us, then he'll give us the victory. Uh, we have to remember the promises of God. We have to remember the presence of God. God, the Lord Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So the first solution is just remember the truth. When the way seems too discouraging, remember the truth. What God's feeding you with you may not like, but he's still feeding you. <laughs> remember the truth that the, all the ways of the Lord are right. He never fails. He's not wrong. So first and foremost, get your focus off of the circumstances Focus off of the opposition and back on to the Lord, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Wherefore, consider him, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. You know what happens? You know what causes you to faint? Discouragement. Wherefore, consider him who endured what? 
such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. God says, if you're not going to faint, you've got to consider Christ. Quit considering the size of the enemy. Quit considering how many times you fall into the same temptation. Consider Christ who's overcome every temptation. Amen? So we're gonna, if we're going to overcome discouragement, we must remember the word of the Lord. We must remember His promises and His presence and His faithfulness. We've got to get our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and His faithfulness off of our, of our difficulty, off of the size of the opposition, we must remember. Number two, letter B, if you would, we should rejoice. When the people were discouraged while they were murmuring, they should have been rejoicing. So they were discouraged because of the way. It's amazing how thanking God will turn your discouragement into encouragement. Let me ask you something. How many times had God fed these people in the wilderness before they got to this discouragement? We'll just count how many times they'd murmured in time past. How many times had they thought that God was abandoning them and forsaking them and not going to provide for them and he had provided bread and water? By the time we get to uh, Numbers, where we read Numbers 21, we are almost, we're 40 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness now 40 years. So water had come out of the rock. God had turned bitter water into sweet water. God had given them manna for 40 years. They were still getting manna. They were just discouraged. And had they said, you know what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we get discouraged, let's stop and do this. Let's thank the Lord for dividing the Red Sea. Let's thank the Lord for the sweet waters of Marah that were, that were bitter. Let's thank the Lord for when Moses smote the rock and water came out. Let's thank the Lord for manna every day so that we're standing here in good health. Don't you reckon if they had rejoiced instead of murmured that the discouragement would have vanished? I promise you it would have. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice evermore. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I do believe this. I believe, number one, we have to remember the promises of God are faithful because God is faithful. And out of that we have to rejoice even before we see our way not difficult. We are to give thanks to God for all things, Ephesians 5 says. In everything, but for all things. Amen? And so, number one, remember the faithfulness of God. Number two, rejoice in the faithfulness of God. And then number three, refuse to be a source of discouragement ourselves. Number one, let us not be the ones who discourage others in the way of Christianity, the way of Bible Christianity. Let us not be the ones who don't believe God and say, I know what the Bible says, but... I know what the Bible says, but let us not be those, and especially as fathers, let us not be the ones who use our positions of strength to discourage those who are weak. Let's not be the ones who provoke our children to wrath. We must remember the faithfulness of the Lord, rejoice instead of murmuring, and refuse to be a disbeliever, refuse to be disobedient, and refuse to be a source of discouragement to the next generation behind us. Amen? Whether it is me specifically with my own children, but let's apply that more broadly. How many times do you see young people, whether it's young Christians who've just gotten saved or young people who are still young as children and their faith is young as well, and it's the next generation that provokes them and discourages them? I mean, how many times? When you think about Joseph in the Old Testament. 
Joseph is zealous for doing what he's supposed to do. He's right, and his older brothers find very quickly that they can discourage him. Who do you think you are? May we never be a source of discouragement to the generation behind us of doing what God told them to do. May we never make it hard for our children to obey the Lord. Amen? So first of all, remember the faithfulness of the Lord. Again, Hebrews 12, we're to look unto Jesus. We're to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Put off the murmuring and the complaining. Rejoice in the Lord. Put off disbelief and disobedience. And then looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. His way was hard. He endured such contradiction of sinners. But why do we consider him? lest we be weary and faint in our minds. The Bible tells us, and let us not be weary in due season, weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. Remember the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, and refuse to be a discourager of others. Mm-hmm.